0: Hello, Canada. Today's date is August 28th, 2022. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan flying solo today. Louis is still away on his East Coast vacation, and I can't wait till he gets back because I am excited to hear how it went. I'm jealous. that I've never been to the Maritimes before, and... Can't wait for my, uh, my first chance to go. Um, one of these days, definitely on the bucket list. Okay. So just as a housekeeping item here, I want to remind global news that as a podcaster, we are not a dangerous source of misinformation, nor are we a threat to democracy. Uh, I don't know how exactly that statement got to get past some editor somewhere so that Global could trash the whole podcast industry. And that, of course, is in response to Joe Rogan interviewing Mark Zuckerberg and having Zuckerberg admit that, yeah, we did suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story. So not really even a Canadian story. But Global decided to take a shot at podcasters because podcasts, in general, not just saying Canadian common sense, are starting to eat their lunch. And well, they're probably scared that the digital world is starting to leave them in the dust. So Anyway, what we are as a podcast, we are an opinion podcast. We actually take what the mainstream media gives us, filter through it, and try to debunk what is crap and try to give credit for what is true. But in the end of the day, we're offering our opinions on Canada's issues. And, well, so far it seems to be working. Okay, so we have a busy, busy show on on the go today. Um, Like last week, I've got a whole crap ton of things I'd like to talk about and likely going to have to leave a few of those and possibly publish a rant or two later in the week based on what I'm going to miss out on. Excuse me on a further housekeeping note, um, as I would mentioned last week, uh, if my voice does trail off a little bit here and there, it's been an awful bad allergy season this year. And yesterday we had a big gust of wind blowing through, which stirred up a bunch of pollen and such. And I've actually resorted even to wearing a mask the odd time going out just to try to help things out. And it seems to have helped a little bit, but just so you know, if I do end up sneezing or coughing during the show that's all it is not covid i won't be infected with the wuhan flu anytime soon okay let's get at this on the show today game on quebec bugger off Christian freeland press 5 for death nrc comes up with a zero ottawa gives the catholic church a pass and more. All right, so we're going to knock off some of the smaller things first. The election in Quebec. Well, officially, will kick off today. The uh, fact as we record this, it will be mid-morning uh, Eastern Standard, Eastern Daylight Time in Quebec. So I expect by the time we publish the show, it will be game on for Quebec. The election will begin. The vote will be October third. Now, I don't think anybody in Canada believes that Francois Legault is in any danger of not being premier on October 4th. And I'm not in the predictions game, but I got to say that I'm pretty sure that he's going to win again and he will likely win handily because his opposition is mostly in complete disarray. The Quebec Liberal Party is almost like a rudderless ship just drifting in the ocean with no one to try to sail it. And the Separatist Party, the Parti Quebecois, has completely fallen apart. The Quebec Conservative Party actually appears to be the only party that has its act together and is prepared to mount any kind of an opposition in this election. And Quebec Solidaire, which is another Separatist option in Quebec, and a much further left-wing option than the Parti Quebecois. Yeah, if you can imagine that. They also have a uh, quite an organized group, but just not the support. So I really don't see anything but a cakewalk for Francois Legault, which in itself is dangerous. Um, having been born and raised in Alberta, where the Progressive Conservatives were a dynasty basically my entire life. Peter Lockheed was elected in August of 1971, which was just shortly before I was born. And when I moved away from Alberta in 2003, well, the party was still in power. So uh, it's dangerous when you don't have an effective opposition that at least gives voters another option or at least something else to think about. Now, to be fair, in Alberta, that did happen once while I was living there in the 1992 election when Lawrence Decor led the Alberta Liberals and actually almost unseated the then new leader of the progressive conservatives, who was Ralph Klein. I'm sorry, that was 1993. And uh, at any rate, that was the only time I saw a competitive election in Alberta in the time that I was there. There were times when there was only two opposition candidates that were elected. And that's dangerous for democracy by itself. So I hope that the Quebec Conservative Party at least mounts some kind of effective campaign in this one. But, uh, well, as we always do, we will keep you informed as to how things are going during that campaign. Okay, on to Christopher Freeland. Now, if you listen to the mainstream media, I mentioned Global just a little bit earlier, she was viciously verbally attacked in Alberta. And, well, I guess politicians get that, because this vicious verbal attack was somebody in, I can't even remember what city it was in, the Grand Prairie, when had basically told her, get the F out of here, you're not wanted in Alberta, et cetera, and carried that little line of discussion, let's just say, while she was waiting for an elevator. Well, excuse me, if you look at, well, Justin Trudeau's stepdad, Pierre Trudeau, I know, I'm just, just kidding, Pierre Trudeau, Justin Trudeau's father, not Fidel Castro, or is he, Pierre Trudeau was actually very, very verbally abusive to, well, lots of people. Uh, And I think when he told somebody in Vancouver to F off once, as a matter of fact, we all know about the salmon arm salute when he flipped the bird to uh, protesters in British Columbia. And we know that Jean Chrétien choked a protester once. So it's not like It's not a give and take here. But for Krista Freeland to play the victim when it was her who stood up in front of the cameras during the Freedom Convoy with that smug little smirk on her face and said, we are going to cancel your insurance. We are going to cancel your permits. We are going to freeze your bank accounts. And actually had to suppress laughing about it it's really hard to feel sorry for her when somebody pushes back. Was the gentleman rude and a little over the top? It seemed that way from the bit of video that I watched, but I don't disparage the the fellow for being frustrated. How do we know he wasn't somebody who donated 25 bucks to the freedom convoy and had his bank account frozen? We don't know any of that backstory. I do want to at least give her credit for going to Alberta and, uh, I wasn't sure she could find Peace River on a map anymore, even though that's where she grew up. So, uh, well, I guess good for her for going back home, and, you know, it's all for the photo op, I'm sure, but at least she's visiting her family, so I guess I gotta give her credit for that. Anyway, you won't see me shedding a tear for Krista Freeland anytime soon. Let's put it that way. Or any politician that passes unpopular legislation, or promotes unpopular legislation, or promotes, uh, thanks for the word global, promotes misinformation, as Miss Freeland did during the Freedom Convoy, as did all of her cabinet for that matter, but that's another story for another day. All right, let's move on from that, and let's talk about the Saskatchewan health system. Now, here in Saskatchewan, there is a health link, a health line that people can call when there's something going on. So they can call 811 and talk to a a nurse who will give them a phone assessment and give them advice as to what they think the person should do. All right. I was soured on this service over a decade ago when I had phoned one time with my then 10-year-old daughter who was having some abdominal pain and called in, had the little talk, what are her symptoms, et cetera, et cetera. And then health nurse on the other end of the phone told me at that time, oh, I recommend you take her to hospital by ambulance. And I was like, well, she's in discomfort. She's not dying. Uh, so I drove her myself to a walk-in clinic, which was our doctor's office. And our doctor actually happened to be working that day. So he took a look at her and it was quite minor. She did have some discomfort, but it wasn't anything that would have been worth an ambulance ride or wasting time in a hospital. So I was soured on that health line long ago. Well, I'm even more sour with that health line in Saskatchewan now. Now, those of you who follow Maxine Bernier or the People's Party of Canada may already have seen this video where one of their supporters dialed up the Saskatchewan health line 811. It gave a list of options uh, of what you need to do. Well, one of those is press five if you wish to speak to somebody about MAID, medical assistance in dying. And you heard me rant about MAID last week, so I'm not going to spend too much time on this. I'm, well, I'm pretty ticked off. I'll put it that way. And with this link on MAID, if you can't get somebody on the phone because their hours are 8 to 4.30 Monday to Friday, there is an option to leave a message on a voicemail that gets checked so somebody can call you back to talk about MAID. Excuse me. We are making it way too easy to get the government to kill us. Now, I realize that in this case, you're making the decision yourself because you're pressing five, you're asking for some some help on this, but we have gone way down that slippery slope with this whole Made idea and any support I ever would have had for this legislation is gone. Now, when Canada first started talking about introducing Made back in 2016, 2017, Holland and Belgium both warned Canada This is not a good idea. Those two countries did this already. And they went down the slippery slope and they said, this is a bad idea. Canada, of course, because we had a Trudeau government in in Ottawa, very smugly said, well, we're not that kind of society. We're a different society here in Canada. We got this. We do. Well, it's certainly not looking like it because what we got is bureaucrats out of control bureaucrats offering to well to put veterans to death for ptsd for example perhaps maybe a paramedic might one day have ptsd because there was somebody they couldn't revive at an accident scene or something Well maybe want to bump them off too That's it's ridiculous anyway i'm not going to go into it i ranted last week and i don't need to get angry about this again so uh Saskatchewan Healthline has it completely wrong. This, this whole system of made has to go. It needs to be completely dismantled, and if they really want to start it up again, there needs to be serious fences put up all around it that bureaucrats can't jump over or climb under, in their case, slithery little snakes that most of them are. Anyway, moving on. <clears throat> the National Research Council in Montreal... Now, this is a place we haven't talked about for quite some time. Back when the old days, when the COVID pandemic was first declared, when that virus escaped the Wuhan Virology Institute in Wuhan, China, which normally would mean that would have been called the Wuhan virus, but, oh, we can't offend China, so we can't call it the Wuhan virus. So when the COVID-19 pandemic began... The National Research Council in in Montreal, and we'd reported this on this show, was granted a $278 million grant to, well, upgrade their facilities and start producing some vaccines. And while Lewis and I were against the idea of our tax dollars going into the facility, we were all in favor of having some homegrown, at least home-produced vaccines. Well, the NRC said, thank you, Joe Taxpayer, for that money. We will start producing vaccines in May of 2021. Okay, now we're now at the end of August of 2022. So I'm just going to do the quick math. That is a year and three months past May 2021. And the NRC has produced, oh, zero zero vaccines not a one and when will you get started oh we don't know end of august we know it's 15 months later but we don't know we don't know when we're going to start producing vaccines oh but if there's a fall wave this year which everybody's telling us about you're saying we're not going to have anything homegrown that's what we're saying yep so you uh took your $278 million, Canada, and you flushed it. Congratulations. And it wasn't you that flushed it, Canada. It was the incompetent liberal government that just loves to hand out your money to their friends. I'm not sure who they had friends at the National Research Council, so I'm not suggesting any kind of nepotism there. But, yep, we uh, we threw $278 million down the drain when right across the parking lot from the National Research Council in Montreal, I mean literally, right on the other side of the parking lot, you will find Nuvax, that is a private vaccine manufacturer, and they were ready to go. The head of Nuvax actually interviewed on the Roy Green Show several times during the early days of the pandemic and said, we're ready, we can start producing vaccines for you in probably six weeks. And there was never, ever um, an approach to them by the federal government. And the gentleman was very candid about it. He said, no one has reached out to us. We reached out to them and nobody will talk to us. Probably because they were private sector and not government. And of course, Trudeau believes that government needs to be everything in this country. So it's a shame we could have actually had Nuvax producing vaccines almost at the start. But instead, they still sit in the sidelines while the NRC took a bunch of money and well still sits on the sidelines. <coughs> okay. Now I don't understand if there is a deed, another wave. And see, most Canadians are now considered fully vaccinated. Well, at least as far as if you go with the the two-shot rule, because they believe it's 90-some percent of Canadians have two shots. But of course, now the big thing is boosters, and the fiasco at Western University in London, Ontario, certainly brought that to light. It's when they demanded students have a booster shot, in order to attend the university. Well, thankfully, they that one is uh, still in the air. So so the whole idea of even being fully vaccinated now is up in the air because the government has now talked about shots being up to date, which means if they decide that they do want to implement a rule that you have to have had your last shot within the last nine months, you're going to find millions of Canadians suddenly being considered unvaccinated. Myself among them. I, uh, one of my biggest regrets is actually getting those shots now. I went out and got two shots in last year because there was some pressure from my employer and just the uh, general peer pressure out there. And so I said, well, if I'm going to have to do a daily disclosure of my vaccine status or lose my job, which was the case, and being forced out of public spaces, which was also the case, I capitulated. I said, okay, fine, I'll get the two shots. Let's just get back to normal. Because that's what they told us. Two shots, you'll be back to normal. Well, none of this is normal. It's still not normal. And my second shot is almost a year old, so I guess I'll be considered unvaccinated. And you've heard me say on this show, they will booster me at gunpoint. I'm not getting any more shots. i definitely regret getting the first two. So, uh, good luck on getting another needle near my arm. Anyway, let's talk about the big topic for today, and then we'll see what we can squeeze in on the other side. Now, I mentioned that the government gave the Catholic Church a pass. Now, I got to give full credit to the Canadian press for reviving this story. And, The mainstream media really isn't reporting on it, and I'll tell you why at the end of this segment. But This is a story from 2015, and the the Canadian press decided to revive the story because of the the recent visit from the Pope and the residential schools question, that, that would be the Indian residential schools. And as it turns out, back in 2015 there was actually a deal signed with the federal government and the Catholic church to absolve the Catholic church of financial compensation for the Indian residential schools agreement. And yes, I know that we don't use the word Indian anymore, but I use that language specifically because this is what the deal was called in 2015. There was a deal that was named the Indian residential school settlement agreement. Now, Bear with me, Canada. I've got to go through a little bit of history for this first, so I'm going to be blabbing on for a minute or so with boring facts, and then we'll talk about why it is the media is not talking about these boring facts that I'm just about to share with you now. All right. So, in this deal, and this is where the the the, the catchy headline uh, is going to turn some heads and make people angry and and still not read the article, because we know 90% of us don't actually read the articles. We just look at the headline. And I'm not even suggesting that's a bad thing. So in the headline, they talked about how Canada agreed to, quote, forever discharge the Catholic Church from financial compensation. Okay, now what does that actually mean? So here's the background. In 2015, when the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement was actually created the settlement called for the catholic church to to pay 79 million dollars to indian residential school survivors part of that 79 million was going to be the catholic church making their quote best efforts to to raise 25 million dollars so i'm guessing it didn't make this really clear in the in the article but My guess is they were going to be on the hook for fifty-four million for sure, and then make their best efforts to raise an additional twenty-five million. That's what I took from it. Anyway, so of course the Catholic Church took it to court, and that's the government. Of course, fought them in court too. So it went to the Saskatchewan Court of Appeal. Now I'm not sure why the Saskatchewan Court of Appeal. Perhaps that's just where the deal was signed, but. At any rate, in the Saskatchewan Court of Appeal, the Saskatchewan Court upheld the deal and said, "Yep, Canada, you are on the hook for for the Catholic Church, and you are on the hook to to I guess forever discharge the Catholic entities and this from their promise to raise the twenty five million dollars for residential school survivors." And the government was on the hook to pay the legal fees for the Catholic Church. Now, immediately the Canadian government, and this was the Harper government in 2015, and uh, don't worry, I'll be giving you some dates on that as I go through this little tirade as well. So the lawyers for the Harper government, of course, immediately went to the Supreme Court of Canada to appeal. And the lawyers for Canada argued that the church still should have some financial culpability. And that was the whole idea, reason why it got got uh, to the Saskatchewan Court of Appeal in the first place. Because Ottawa said, no, no, they should not get a pass and the government shouldn't have to cover everything. Now, when the Saskatchewan Court of Appeal upheld the, the deal and said, yes, the government should, that's when the government said, Okay, well, we signed the deal but we're going to appeal, which is which is common practice just so you know. So they took the decision which was handed down in July of 2015, all right? So then they launched their appeal stating that it was unclear that if they had to pay all expenses for the Catholic Church or if there was just three specific areas in which the government was on the hook for the financial compensation. Now, in August 15, 2015, which is when the appeal was officially launched, remember there was an election call, because there was an election on October 19th of 2015, and it was a 38-day campaign, the longest campaign in Canadian history. Remember, it was a seven-week election. So the government would have been, well, I guess, preoccupied with an election, but their lawyer still had, had the appeal down. And the deal ended up being signed in October of 2015. It did not say what date in October 2015, but remember that the Prime Minister and Cabinet would still have been in place until the Trudeau government was sworn in. This date happened to be November 4th of 2015. A day I remember very well, because my birthday is right around that day. So, on November 4th of 2015, the Trudeau and cabinet officially become the government of Canada. Why is that important? Because the appeal was still active during the entire election campaign, and even after the the election day, and the appeal was still active when the Trudeau government took power on November 4th of 2015. The article then, and this is why you're not going to hear about it in the mainstream media, Canada. The article at that time says that the appeal was dropped by the Canadian government in November of 2015. Well, unless it was November 1st, 2nd or 3rd, that means the appeal was dropped by the Trudeau government. So... I know, I I hear you. Why would the Trudeau government suddenly drop an appeal to try to hold the Catholic Church financially culpable for the Indian Residential School Settlement settlement Agreement? Well, your guess is as good as mine as to why, um, why they would immediately, almost immediately, drop that appeal. But it does explain why when Pope Francis visited Canada recently, and this is why the article resurfaced in the first place, by the way, in my opinion, when Pope Francis recently visited, he was happy to offer an apology to the residential school survivors, as they were calling themselves. And Remember people criticized his apology because it was obviously very well scripted. It was obviously vetted by lawyers. It was very cryptic. It was very non-committal. Does that maybe explain the decision by the Trudeau government to drop the appeal and just decide that, yes, we will absolve the Catholic Church of any financial culpability for the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement? It does seem just a little bit of a coincidence, doesn't it? So, again, thank you, Canadian Press, for bringing that to light. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. Now, also, the Canadian Press, in a very rare instance of uh, journalistic honesty, the Canadian Press reporter actually decided to do some, as Ben Shapiro would say, journalisming. And they approached Mark Miller, who is a Trudeau cabinet minister for Crown-Indigenous Relations, and asked, well, why did your government decide to uh, give the Catholic Church a pass, let them skate? And, of course, he claims, well, we we knew nothing about that. I mean, we we likely didn't even know that that appeal was dropped. Do you smell that? hmm I smell something and it smells an awful lot like BS. Like hell you didn't know that your government or like hell that your government did not know that the appeal was dropped. Give me a break. How stupid do you think Canadians are? Well, uh, well, I guess Canadians keep electing electing your liberal government. So uh so you got me there, Touche. But give me a break, Mr. Miller, I'm pretty sure your government would have known that that appeal was dropped. But the reason that we're not talking about it is because they can't pin that on Stephen Harper. Stephen Harper's government was actually fighting the decision and wanted the Catholic Church to have some culpability. The Trudeau government, just uh, probably in their zeal, to cancel anything. Harper probably just dropped the appeal just because it was Harper's appeal. We know that the Trudeau government did everything they could to try to cancel Harper's entire term in government, so I'm going to let this one rest at the feet of the Trudeau liberals. But don't worry, the mainstream media is not going to hold them to account on it, so it's just going to be, well, us folks in the podcast sphere who are the threat to democracy, the dangerous sources of misinformation that we are. All right. Now, on a positive note for this Trudeau government, and it's really hard to find positive notes for the government, Michelle Obansowin is appointed to the Supreme Court of Canada. Who the hell is Michelle Obonsawin? Well, she was a Superior Court Justice in Ontario, and I guess until she's officially sworn in with the Supreme Court of Canada, she is still a Superior Court Justice in Ontario. But she is now the first uh, Indigenous person to be appointed to to the Supreme Court of Canada. She is from a small town in Northern Ontario, and she is fully bilingual, as is necessary, to... uh, You know, qualify for the Supreme Court so uh, congratulations to her it's actually a a good move on the part of the federal government to include an indigenous person on the Supreme Court of Canada I'm stunned that that hasn't happened already so better late than never and there's the one very small instance where I can actually give this government some credit so uh, I guess I better take the opportunity while I can all right so I've got a few more minutes here. Why don't we try to get to some of that stuff? I wasn't sure if we would get to. So we had a report recently, and I just actually had, had read this a couple of days ago that you're going to hate to hear this, by the way, Um Lewis, you're going to love to hear this because Lewis was right again. And, we had predicted this was going to happen because there was no way to avoid it. But now Desjardins Financials is actually backing up what uh, Lewis had said, kind of, in that Desjardins reports that, well, Canada is certainly headed for a, in their words, mild recession next year. Well, I think that when Lewis said we're already there, I'm going to go with he was right and now suddenly the quote-unquote experts are starting to catch up and it's actually pretty easy to see that he was right there was another report that six million Canadians in 2021 experienced some some form of food insecurity they called it um I don't know why it's called food insecurity nowadays it could just be called well they uh I don't know, I guess that's the best term for it. Food insecurity. They couldn't afford to feed their families. And now there's reports that a lot of Canadians are taking on debt just to pay their bills and to feed their families and to make the payments they need to make every month. I'll be the first person to tell you that we as Canadians shoulder some of the blame for you know leveraging ourselves to the max and not being prepared for interest rates to spike. But no amount of penny-pinching, planning ahead, budgeting properly could have prepared any Canadian for the absolute disastrous policy of printing $400 billion over the course of two short years to throw into an economy that wasn't producing any goods because people were all locked down, thereby inflating the price of the existing goods to astronomical, unheard-of levels. None of that is the fault of the average Canadian who is simply looking to feed their family and pay their bills. So the government, well, they own this. The government owns this, and... What are they doing about it? Don't worry. The government has your back. They've learned nothing from printing money out of thin air to chase goods that have not been produced, thereby inflating the price of those goods because you've got more money chasing fewer goods, which equals inflation. Well, the government of Saskatchewan just recently said, we are going to hand out $500 checks to every 18 and over person in the province of Saskatchewan. Why? Well, the cynical part of me says because there is a by election coming up in Saskatoon that needs to be called before the end of the year. And the governing party would really like to win that by election. And it was the seat of the former leader of the official opposition in Saskatchewan. So the government would love to take that seat just to, uh, I guess, puff their chest. So why don't we buy that seat with some $500 checks? Well, those $500 checks, of course, are going to get injected into the economy. And well, we've just gone through this. We went through a government handing out $2,000 a month to Canadians for them not to work. So yeah, let's just throw more money at people so they can inflate prices even higher. It's ridiculous. I was actually talking to my best man on the phone a couple of days ago. And we were talking because I bought a new half ton last year and we were saying the way that prices are now, not only could I sell that half ton now for more than I paid for it last year, people would be flocking to it because it's fully intact. He actually said, oh, this is anecdotally, I can't back this up. He actually had told me that, that when you buy a brand new vehicle, you actually have to agree that, not only do you take the vehicle as it is, you accept that that vehicle may not have all of the superconductors and chips, etc., that is required for, as an example, for your electric seats to work or for your power mirrors, or maybe you had a heated steering wheel. Well, you, you have to sign off that you are okay if none of that does work and What he said, and I thought it was right, is they, if you're going to give me a vehicle that is basically a 1986 with no options, why would I not pay a 1986 with no options price? Fair comment. All right, now also on the economy sector, it has just been reported one third of tourism operators in Canada, now that is people who run businesses that cater to the tourism industry. So you've got, whether it's restaurants, hotels, people who have ferry services, et cetera, one in three have said they are either going to sell, shut the doors, or otherwise leave the business. They are going to shut down or sell, period, full stop. And I don't blame them. The tourism industry took a absolute beating when the government closed the border for over a year and shut down all of our industries. well, there was could have been a great revival this year because people were looking to get out and explore and travel. The Americans provide a lot of tourism dollars to Canada, and so do Europeans. But there is this little thing called the Arrive Can app. And you've heard us rail about the Arrive Can app on this show many, many times because it sucks. It sucks. It tracks your movements. And as listener Mackenzie pointed out to us, even if you're a Canadian citizen and you happen to enter the country, it actually asks, it demands you input into the Arrive Can app where you're going and how long you plan on staying, and what hotel you will be staying in, even if you're a Canadian citizen. And I thought, wait a minute, what? What if, and this is just a big if, you are someone who's a little more spontaneous, and you decide when you cross into the border at North Portal, Saskatchewan, for example, Emerson, Manitoba. Rather popular border border crossings for people who are coming across Canada, would this just say you decided that, yeah, you know what i'm just I'm just here to look around, so uh, I'm not even sure where I'm gonna stay. I just thought I'd go and see Winnipeg and find a hotel when I got there well with you don't disclose to arrive can what hotel you're going to, they might very well say yeah, we're going to make you one of those 10,000 people that we're going to just force into quarantine, even though those 10,000 people actually had filled everything out properly. And there's no appeal, by the way, so screw you. And that has happened. That has happened. 10,000 people. So when foreign citizens hear of this crap and they look at the Arrive can app and see all the BS that goes into the arrive can app. A lot of them are just saying, screw you, Canada. We're not coming. We will go, well, maybe we'll go to the States where it's a little easier to get in and go visit, or maybe we will vacation, you know, somewhere closer to home. Maybe we will go to Southern Europe. Maybe we will go visit the mountains in Switzerland instead of in, in Alberta. And that is what's causing a lot of these tourism operators to go broke. You've already shut them down for over a year while they still had their own overhead expenses they had to maintain. And yes, there was some small business reports, supports, sorry, which all come from, well, the taxpayer. And well, those tourism operators also happen to be taxpayers. So when it's a double whammy, triple whammy in this case, of being locked down, having the borders closed on you, and then having a government overreaching app that people don't like, and no matter what Omar al-Gabra will tell you, that's the transport minister who says, oh, it's much more efficient now, and it's making making it easier to cross the border. Well, there's millions of people who would actually disagree with that. They're the people who are standing in line waiting for days, the people who are missing flights, people who are frustrated with flights getting cancelled, and people sitting on the tarmac waiting because there are too many people in airports, people who have realized that Pearson Airport is now considered to be the worst airport in the world for travelers because of delays. I think all of those people would disagree with you, Minister El Gabra. The Arrive Can app, Absolutely sucks. Um, Lewis had to fly to the, to the States last year, use the Arrive Can app, and he had a hell of a time. It took him three days to get all his, his info uploaded because the app kept crashing. And, of course, we've all seen that viral video of an 86-year-old gentleman in Ontario who didn't have a cell phone, so therefore could not upload the ArriveCan Can app and was being threatened with quarantine and with fines. And the government's advice? Oh, yes. As Trudeau would say, the government has your back. They just told him, oh, just find somebody that has a cell phone that's willing to upload your information for you. Um, i It's hard even to reply to that. Number one, my information is mine, is private, so screw you. Um, number two, it's none of your goddamn business if I have a cell phone or not, number three, I'm not going to find somebody who might be kind enough to let me borrow theirs, like, that is one of the most asinine comments I'd ever heard from this, this government, and I've heard a lot, I've heard a lot of asinine comments from this government, so we'll wrap up on that one, Canada, we've got a huge problem in this economy and it's unfortunately all being caused by government and I almost don't blame Justin Trudeau for being so dumb when it comes to an economy cuz his father was a communist and I'm not talking about Fidel Castro, although he was a communist too, but uh, Pierre Trudeau was a communist. And and you can actually look that up. You can read it. He he loved communism. And so Justin Trudeau probably grew up believing that government is the answer to everything, that government is the be-all and end-all for, well, Canadian society. (coughs) And, well... He's wrong. And unfortunately, he's surrounded by a bunch of yes men in his cabinet and in his inner circle who tell him that he's right and that, oh, well, I mean, if having government tinkering with, well, travel in this case, the Arrive Can app isn't enough, well, perhaps we need more government in there to help fix it. So let's create a panel of cabinet ministers to study The problem. So, we're going to pay some cabinet ministers extra committee fees to study the problem and come up with solutions like buying more chairs for passport offices so that people who have to wait have a place to sit. That is the kind of brilliance that more government gets for you. Oh, this Arrive Can app absolutely sucks. No, no, let's just tell Canadians it doesn't suck. Oh, well, there we go. Oh, that's all I needed to hear, government. Thank you for that. No, no, no. Mr. Algabra said that the, the app doesn't suck. So uh, let's just go with that. Well, the reality is the app does suck. The reality is foreign students who were coming to Canada to pay good money to come to our universities can't get here because... Immigration can't get their visas processed in time. Refugees from Afghanistan, for example, who are fleeing and hiding from the Taliban can't get here because the government can't get their passports or their visas processed for them. Our own travelers coming back from destinations abroad, getting harassed because of an Arrive Can app that asks for way too much information that has nothing to do with their trip and, well, isn't reliable enough for us to to know if it's even going to work when they hit the border. But oh no, 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 it's not the government's fault at all, Canada. It's you, Canada, because you chose to travel and you've forgotten how to do it. Oh yes, yes, he did say that. That came right from Omar al gabra Canadians who are no longer accustomed to traveling who are traveling again and have to get used to it oh of course it's your fault Canada (sighs) all right I'm going to leave it there for now Canada I do want to thank you for joining me and as I expected there are a couple of topics that I was not able to get to so you can probably expect a rant or two during the week and Likely we're going to be back with Lewis and myself next Sunday. So until then, thank you for joining me. It is Tony in Saskatchewan, and we will talk to you soon.